Good evening. It sure is good to be together. We're in week two of our series from the Psalms called Rhythms of Life, and I'm excited about, uh, excited about this series as we're kind of walking together through the different emotions that we experience as we're moving down the road to maturity. You know, we, uh, we go through a lot of different rhythms and different cycles um, as we grow and as we walk through life. And last week we began with a distinct psalm of praise, Psalm 100, and, and we talked a lot about what it's like to be a, a fresh, new, excited Christian and how you just look at the world with this awe and wonder and what that causes us to, to see about God, these magnificent realities about Him. But this week we kind of take a, a more difficult turn. We step into Psalm 13, a, a psalm of lament. I would like for you all to open your Bibles to the 13th Psalm. You know, we started off with a, a roller coaster illustration last week, and, and we talked about how maybe at the beginning of the, <laughs> at the, beginning of the series, we were, we were just headed up, and we were looking at all the sights that there were to see, and, and now we've reached the part where we're dropping off the edge, and, and people start getting sick, and, and the ride is pretty rough, and we wonder what in the world did we get ourselves into. You know, I was trying to think of a, of a maybe better way to help you connect to where we're at. Maybe this isn't the best analogy, but has anyone here ever experienced buyer's remorse? I, I think I experience remorse for everything that I purchase. My wife is, <laughs> is making a face at me right now. Um, I, I think I experience buyer's remorse before we buy anything, and then it causes me not to, even, not to even do it. But, you know, when you first see an object, usually it's a big-ticket item. You're really excited about it, and you convince yourself that you have to have it, and, and you think of all the wonderful things that this object is going to do. Maybe it's a car, or maybe it's a house, and, and so you convince yourself, and, and you pump yourself up, and you go, and you shop, and you make this purchase, and then as soon as it's too late to take it back... It's, it's never before. It's always right after it's too late to return it. What happens? Oh no, what have I done? This feeling of maybe I didn't need this after all. A little bit of a, a panic sets in. Y'all, y'all all know the feeling. Um, this, this I think, I think that's the feeling we get as we move from this, this season of orientation to disorientation. The analogy may not be exactly correct. I mean, I certainly don't think we regret taking the step towards Christianity. But there's certainly times in our lives when we're, we're faced with these moments, when these situations that make us, that challenge us and make us wonder what we've gotten ourselves into. Um, these situations that are uncomfortable. Um, and, and it's in these situations that I believe we have to learn the art of lament. The art of lament, and I think we get that from Psalm 13. Did you know there are 59 psalms of lament? In fact, David wrote 46 of those. He writes the 13th psalm that we're going to read this evening. So I want to step right into it together. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As the psalm opens, four times we see David ask the question, how long? How long? And, and, and this, first, this first collection of verses, these first two verses, he moves through three different big ideas. And we see that he's experiencing turmoil in all of the same places that I think we also experience turmoil. So he starts off by saying, showing this turmoil that he has with God. And then he moves into this turmoil that he has in his own inner self. And then he talks about the turmoil that he has with his enemies. And I want us to pause for a second and and take each of these in turn. Turmoil with God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Turmoil with self. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And turmoil with his enemies. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? See, each of these are different emotions, different feelings of abandonment, yet they're marked by this, this common refrain, this question that God asked, or that David asked of God, how long? Y'all have all been there in these moments of despair when it feels like it's never going to end. In these moments where the tunnel looms ahead, the tunnel looms so far ahead that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you experience the same question, how long? I want to walk through each of these and talk about when we experience and feel each of them. Let's start with our feeling of abandonment by God. I got permission to tell this story. So I guess if you start a story that way, you probably shouldn't tell it. It's a story of our life these days, isn't it? I tell y'all way too much about what happens at the Dozier house. So this was about two and a half or three years ago. Blair was 18 months old. Um, and I was preaching the Sunday evening sermon, so we had left the house a little bit early to come so I could kind of get my thoughts in order, and I was ready to go to preach to all of y'all. Anyway, so we left the house, and we had the typical drive to the church building, and we pulled into the parking lot, and we kind of parked there off on the other side, and I got out of my side of the van, and Brianna got out of her side of the van, and we opened the doors, and at that moment, both of our eyes met, and Brianna said, did you not get Blair? I said, I thought you got Blair. And then we turned, she was in a rear-facing car seat at this moment, and we turned to the kids, did no one notice that we didn't have Blair? Like, all the way to the church, not Braxton or Brooklyn, told us that Blair was missing. And I have never driven home so fast in my entire life. And so, so y'all didn't know any of this was happening. I mean, I came like sliding in sideways to preach at about 4.55 on a Sunday evening, having just gone through this experience of, of totally leaving our 18-month-old daughter at home. And we, when, when we got home, she, luckily she was in the house, which we were pretty sure she was in the house, but we weren't confident. I mean, we had left her at home, and she was standing there in the dark behind the locked door just crying. I mean, not terribly upset, but crying. And I've never been so relieved. That 20 minutes of Blair being missed, well, she was missing for 20. Ten of it we knew. <laughs> Felt like an eternity. <laughs> When you're feeling abandoned, it can feel like an eternity. I can't imagine what Blair must have been thinking. And I'm thankful she was young enough to not remember it. (laughs) You know, this feeling of abandonment is something I think we all, if we're being honest, feel when we look at and see this relationship that we have with God. There's times when we expect God to provide or act in a certain way, and He just doesn't. I think this can come out of a sense of entitlement. We have to guard against that. 
but it also can come out of a sense of injustice or unfairness. You know, I, I toyed with your emotions a little bit this morning, so y'all are probably all poised to, to be on guard. But if we serve an all-powerful God, then why do some of the things happen that we see happen? It can feel like God has forgotten us. It can feel like He is hiding His face from us. You know, I look at that phrase, and I think that's an interesting thing for David to write, because no God-fearing Israelite would believe that they could look at the face of God and live. But I think what David was trying to communicate um, was recognizing that, that even in his despair, he understood this reality of sin that separated creation from its maker. He looks back to the time in the garden where God did shine his face on the people, where God did communicate with them face to face. And he, and he sees in this moment the difference of the experience that creation has now with the reality of sin all around us. It could be that this, this cry for this restoration of relationship is a prophetic cry that, that happened years before it was going to occur. We certainly feel abandoned by God at times, but, but more than that, we also feel alone. This feeling of aloneness when there's nowhere to turn. Y'all have experienced that. How many of you have seen the movie Castaway? The stranded FedEx executive? He crashes on this deserted island, and part of his survival process is he gathers up this, this volleyball, and he puts a face on it, and he, and he names it Wilson. And Wilson is the company that he keeps throughout the duration of the show. You know, we go to great extents to not be alone, but there are times, especially in turmoil, and especially when life is difficult, that even when we're surrounded by people, Maybe even in a place like this, and in a pew like you're sitting now, that we can feel so, so alone. Our experiences are our own, and it seems like no one else is able to reach out and touch them. You know, Romans 8.26 talks about the groanings too deep for words, those things that can't seem to be pried out even when we try. It can be fun to take counsel in our own soul when we want to do something, but when we're facing difficulty, when we genuinely don't know what to do, when we have nowhere to turn in a helpless feeling, it can be discouraging. We see other people in Scripture feeling this way besides David. Elijah felt this way in 1 Kings 19, 9-18. You think about all that Elijah had just been through. He had witnessed the God sending fire from heaven to consume this water-soaked altar. And they had just slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal in the name of the Lord. And he had just prayed for rain and ended this drought. And, and this prayer had been answered. But then all of a sudden Jezebel is chasing him and he finds himself holed up in the cave. And Elijah feels alone. God answers him. God tells him there's been people preserved to help. God delivers Elisha to walk with him. But the bottom line is this feeling of aloneness is difficult. This feeling of aloneness is something that we often experience. And then we move on through the rest of the psalm and we see this feeling of injustice. Do you remember when Nathan went to David and told him the story of the rich man slaughtering the poor man's lamb for a feast? 
And that stoked this, this serious emotional response because David knew that it was markedly unfair to watch such atrocities unfold as infuriating. You felt it this morning when we looked at the story of, of, of Haman and how he acted with Mordecai. It can feel at times like the enemy is winning, like he is doing better than us, even at our expense. It's one thing to feel like God has abandoned us, but it's another thing when, when those who are not his appear to prosper. And this just adds insult to injury. So when you've worked hard and, and someone incompetent and not deserving nabs a promotion at work instead of you, that can feel like you've been abandoned. When the person who hates you for being a Christian keeps getting the upper hand, when they have the successful friends and the business connections and the political pull, it can feel like the enemy has the upper hand. You know, the term enemy is a strong one. We're called to love our enemies, but we also struggle with this sense of fairness. How can God... Let this happen. Shouldn't he reward those who seek him? Shouldn't he punish those who oppose him? It's discouraging to see the wicked prosper and the righteous hurt. You know, this is where our mind go, these first two verses, where our mind and heart go first when life gets difficult. We feel forgotten and ignored and alone and unfairly treated. It's easy for those of us who are not in the midst of turmoil to look at these feelings a little bit dismissively. But if you have felt this, or maybe if you are feeling it now, you know how inescapable it can be to be stuck with these questions. It's important to say this. David did not shamefully hide these feelings. You know, often we feel tears welling up, and what do we do? We've trained ourselves to suck them in and to, and to dry them up, and we make every effort to hide the pain that we are feeling. But here in the Psalms and in many of the other Psalms of Lament, David clearly and bluntly speaks out loud the emotions that his heart is feeling. He speaks to the tension. He asks God the question that his heart feels, even when his mind knows the answer. We begin lament by naming and speaking and acknowledging our feelings of hurt and rejection and despair and hopelessness, our pain and our suffering and our sense of injustice. We serve a God who allows us to ask these questions and talk this way. We live among a people who feel these emotions, people who feel this way. We're not wrong for experiencing this. We're not wrong for feeling this. And I believe if anything this psalm does is model for us the fact that when we feel this way, we should tell God we hurt with brutal honesty. Now, I think it's important that David used question marks. We can and should ask God very pointed questions, but that is different than accusations. So what is the difference in a question and a statement? Well, a question implies that he knows something that we don't. A question has built in this assumption that there's a lack of knowledge on our part. A question is subject to an answer. You have forgotten me is different than will you forget me forever. But God expects us to ask. It's okay for us to ask how long. It's okay for us to ask why. In fact, Asking of a question implies that you're expecting a sort of dialogue with God. 
And as we move through the rest of the psalm, I think we see that that is one of the keys to lamenting in a righteous way. Let's move on to the next verse. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Let, sorry, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You see, these first two verses, the questions weren't simply rhetorical questions. As we move into the rest of the psalm, we see David was asking for and respect and expecting a response. There's a stark shift in tone from the ter- first two verses to this. He moves from questioning to dialogue, from sharing the turmoil of his heart to asking God to interact with it. This is the port, part in the psalm where it becomes markedly a prayer. You know, even when we feel far from God, even in our lament, we can reach out to him and ask for things. So what do we see David ask for here? To light up my eyes, he says. Defend his honor, give him steadfast before his enemies. That's the type of thing he's reaching for. In other words, David is asking God to do something about his feelings. He's saying, God, don't forget me, don't hide. Ease my turmoil, lift my spirits, bring my enemies to their rightful and just place. What we see, actually, in these next two verses is a prayer. A prayer that matches each of the tumultuous feelings that he, just, that he just introduced us to. He said that he felt abandoned by God. And what does he ask? He says, well, consider and answer me. He says he has sorrow in his heart. What does he ask for? He says, light up my eyes. You know, without God, the dark times are permanent. They really are a sort of death. But with God, the dark times are, are transient. It's, it's like a sleep that you awake from. It's something that you're going to escape from. When he talked about his enemies being exalted, what did he pray for here? He said, let them see me wake up. Great glory is brought to God when we emerge from these tumultuous times unshaken. And the flip side is this, those who practice evil, those who stand in opposition to God, those, they believe they have prevailed when they see us sleeping. They often believe that we are dead. And here, the, and here David asks for God to, to wake us up so that they will see, wake us up so they will see the truth. David is crying out to God, God, I need you to do something. Do something, please. Do it for me. Do it for the world. Do it so that they will see. It's a big and it's a bold ask. When we hurt, our prayer to God should be a prayer of action. It's okay to ask him for relief. It's okay to ask him for a favor. It's okay to ask. So we begin by acknowledging and speaking our emotion to God, asking him our big questions, and then we move to asking him to see us and to answer our questions. And finally, we get to the next grouping of Scripture. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice that this passage starts out with, but I. It shows the contrast between him and his enemies. Ultimately, this is the difference between us and the foe, the difference between us and the non-believer. You see, we trust in the steadfast love, and the enemy does not, and we rejoice in salvation, though the enemy does not, and we sing because his bountiful dealings, though the enemy does not. 
You know, this seems to stand in stark contrast with the first groupings of Scripture. In the first grouping, he doesn't seem to trust at all. He has these big, nagging questions for God. And so I wonder, could it, could it be that we can feel a certain way and know that it isn't true? I've wondered as I prepared and, and studied if this psalm is, is laying out this, this progression that we go through. Uh, I mean, is it, is it saying that this is a, a linear process? This is what it looks like to move through difficulty and struggle? So we start off questioning and we end up at the end rejoicing and with joy? My first thought was that that was true. That as we mature through our thoughts, um, we grow a different type of appreciation for God. But, but when I really examine this particular text... I mean, while I think that may be true in our rhythms of life, I think that the entire series will, will demonstrate that that is a reality for us. As I look at this text, I don't think that's the case. David isn't telling a, a story here. David is sharing stuff that's all happening at the same time. So my second thought was this. Well, maybe these are two competing emotions and attitudes that David experienced at the same time. This wrestling at the beginning and this, this praise at the end. The questioning of the first two verses and the trust of the last two, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they compete. Maybe, maybe they are two things that, that, are, that stand in opposition. But I, I think where I've landed, what I believe to be true is this, that these are not competing emotions but complementary ones. We can ask questions of God while still trusting in Him. And we can hurt while still praising Him. And we can experience uncertainty in God's immediate plan while having confidence in His overarching plan. And I think there, I think there is the key to righteous lament. David was able to keep one eye on the big picture. We can't be separated from the love of God. Salvation is something that can't be taken away by any adversary. And while we may feel this feeling of, of want, these, these needs, we can still see that He has dealt bountifully with us in, in so many ways. So we cry out to God and we ask God big questions and we pray big prayers, but at the end of the day, we have to find something to be thankful for. If you've not experienced these feelings that David expresses yet, I'm confident you will. It's certainly one of the rhythms of life. You know, we all go through seasons where we wonder what we got ourselves into. Seasons where we wonder if we're going to make it. Seasons when we feel alone and discouraged. Seasons when we hurt. Seasons when all we know to do is cry out. And during those seasons, I want to encourage you not to hold it in. You don't get extra heaven points for being tough, okay? You don't get extra heaven points for being stoic when you're faced with difficult situations. There are moments in life when we are in an internal battle of where we will place our trust. And we see that the enemy turns inward to their self, but the believer turns outward towards God. To lament as a Christian, to wrestle with pain as a Christian, means we fight our pain with truth. It means that we acknowledge how we feel is different from reality, that we allow ourselves to feel and experience and move through the pain. And we do so while prayerfully asking God for relief and reminding our heart of the truth that we struggle to see. We should model David's righteous lament, his pattern of honesty 
coupled with prayer, coupled with trust. Let's read the psalm together one last time as we close. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Perhaps you're stuck in a season of lament. Perhaps it seems like you have shouldered an unfair burden of painful experiences. I hope this psalm has given you permission to cry out to God, to ask him questions, and to ask for answers. I hope it's also reminded you of the difference in posture between a believer and a non-believer, the posture of trust and recognition of his bountiful dealings. For many of you, it's hard to sing Psalm 13 through to the end. Next week, we're going to move to the 23rd Psalm, a psalm of trust, and we're going to explore what grows out of lament. So I hope you will join us for that. But at this time, we would like to offer an invitation. If you hurt, we would like to hurt with you. If you want to study, we will point you to the truth. And if you believe in Jesus and are ready to follow up, let us baptize you. Whatever your need is, the invitation is yours. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.